pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen.
Lord, for what you've done for us. Hallelujah. 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 It is the name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We glorify you, Lord. We praise your name forever, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your name be glorified, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Children, you're dismissed. <clears throat> Amplify, you're dismissed. The rest of you, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Matthew, the 27th chapter, Matthew 27. <clears throat> We're going to read the 22nd through the 26th verses. I'll be reading in the King James. As you know, this is Palm Sunday. Yeah. And we enter today the week preceding Resurrection Sunday. Amen. And this week is referred to as, at least by the religious world, as Passion Week or Holy Week. It's the last week of Jesus' life on earth. Yes. A week in which he suffered greatly. And in our opening scripture this morning, as we read it, I want you to know that Jesus is standing before Pilate, the Roman governor of Jerusalem, waiting to hear his fate concerning some trumped-up charges that the religious leaders had brought against him. So let's read in Matthew 27, verse 22. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was, was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Scourged and crucified, two simple words, but profound in their meaning. There was a custom during the week of Passover, uh, which is this upcoming week, we started it today, this is Holy Week, Passion Week, where the Roman governor was setting one prisoner free during the week of Passover, the week of Passion, this upcoming week. And he was hoping to set Jesus free because he really felt that Jesus was innocent of the charges that was brought against him by the religious leaders. Pilate's wife also warned him in a dream, uh, or warned him of a dream she had, and she told him, don't do anything with this man. He is not guilty. Last night, I had a dream about him and it troubled me very much. So God even gave her a dream proving that his son was innocent. But the religious people incited the crowd and convinced them to demand that they release Barabbas who was a murderer and an insurrectionist. How many knows it's not always good to follow the crowd? Amen. And though we live in a republic and we do everything basically by democracy. As you probably know, the majority is not always right. It's 
So you got to be careful who you're following, what crowd you're hanging with. And you know, uh, they traded Jesus for an insurrectionist and a murderer. But you know, people trade Jesus every day in this world. Yes. And they trade him for, yes. they trade him for, well, you finish that sentence. I need some help preaching this morning. But I look, I'd like to look at the significance of the suffering that Jesus endured during this week, particularly the scourging and the crucifixion that he received at the hands of the Roman soldiers and why it is so important to us as believers to have a thorough understanding of everything that Jesus went through this upcoming week and especially the scourging he received and, of course, being crucified. You know, we use words so loosely sometimes that, you know, uh, uh, just like the end of our passage there in verse 26 where he says, and they scourged him and crucified him. Boom, in the sentence. But do you know what was said in those two words, scourging and crucified? We don't realize that. We say crucifixion, we say cross, we say scourging, whipping, whatever. By his stripes we're healed, and we've heard it so much and said it so much that it really doesn't have the impact on our lives that it should have. We don't have the understanding of it that we should have. So I want to start with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 of his book. Now Isaiah prophesied this some 700 years before Jesus' crucifixion and scourging, and he did it with uncanny accuracy. He described in vivid detail not only the suffering that Jesus endured in the final week of his life on earth, but also the purpose of that suffering and the purpose of his death. And he starts his discourse in chapter 53, verse 1, with two somewhat simple questions. He says in Isaiah 53, 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Simple questions, but like I said, uh, just like with crucifixion and scourging, very profound. And I want to answer those two questions he just asked in a simple way, and then we'll get into them uh, in more depth. But who believes the report is up to the one who hears it. We can hear the same report. I could believe it and you won't, or vice yeah. versa. That's right. So who believes the report is the one who hears it? And then number two, the one to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed will be the one that believes the report. Yes. Pretty simple. Who, yes. who believes my, our report? Well, the one that heard it and believed it. Yes. And then that's the one whom the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. Well, what if you don't believe the report? Then the arm of the Lord is not going to be revealed to you. Keep your place in Isaiah, and I want to show you this passage that's being quoted in the New Testament by the Apostle John, one of the Gospel writers, in John chapter 12, verse 37. It says, But though he, Jesus, had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. These people had miracles done in front of them, healing in front of them, devils cast out in front of him. And yet they still didn't believe on him. And that's why the word says, blessed are those who have, who have not seen and believed. Because it's a lot easier to believe when you see, but here we see that they didn't even believe it then. But he said that uh, he, Jesus, had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now John just quoted this from Isaiah. Here that prophecy is being fulfilled. So the apostle John quotes this, and, uh, and he quoted it while he was talking about miracles. And then he goes on to say, Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Now we have to understand, 
The Lord doesn't harden people's hearts or blind their eyes. This is a, a attitude that they had, and they were already leaning in this direction, so the Lord just let them lean. And so uh, he's not actually doing these things, you know. Uh, same thing with the Passover. He wasn't the one that was going in and killing the firstborn of those that didn't have the blood on the doorposts and lentils of their houses. It was the destroyer that was being allowed to go in and do that. But anyway, John, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, because the whole word, all the word is, is spoken by men that were inspired by God. And so by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he mentions miracles and healings in connection with believing the report. So don't forget, this is a New Testament reference to, what, to Isaiah concerning who hath believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed. And then in Romans 10, 16 and 17, it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So now Paul is quoting it in Romans here. And then right after he says that, in verse 17, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Yes. So Paul's inferring here that the gospel is the report that we are to believe. Yes. He said it in the same sense. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And then he says, he quotes Isaiah saying, for who hath believed our report? So the gospel is the report, the good news. That's the report we're to believe. But there's also a connection between Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and Isaiah 53 and 1. But did you notice what came before in verse 16? Paul quoted what Isaiah said, who hath believed our report? So these two are connected. So Isaiah 53 and 1, we can tell he's asking the questions, who hath believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? So we know the answers to those two questions. Now let's talk about what it means to reveal the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord has to do with the manifest power of the Lord. In other words, we know the power of the Lord is here to heal. Yes. But is it manifest? See, if somebody jumped up right now and said, I just felt something leave my body, I'm healed, praise the Lord, that's a manifest power of the Lord's healing. So there's a difference between the power and the manifest power. Yes. We know the power is here. We know he's powerful. Yes. But it's, uh, unless it's manifest, we don't see it or feel it. So we're talking about the manifest power of God. And there's several references throughout the Bible to uh, other bodily parts of the Lord, like the hand of the Lord or the hand of God. And his hand would come upon the uh, anointed judges and the prophets of his day uh, to deliver Israel. And they would be able to do supernatural things when the hand of the Lord come upon them. The hand of the Lord, for example, was upon Samson. He yes. pulled up the gates of Gaza and ran down the hill. Yes. Amen. He slayed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. The hand of the Lord was upon Elijah when he girded up his loins and outran the chariots to Jezreel and ahead of the king. The hand was on the hand of the Lord was on King David when he anointed him to slay Goliath with a slingshot. And, of course, the hand of the Lord was on the Apostle Paul as he started all these churches and evangelized the world, uh, the, uh, the known world at that time. So this is the manifest power of the Lord. In Joshua 4.24, it says that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, yeah. that you might fear the Lord your God forever. So we know there's power in his hand. The hand of the Lord is mighty. And we can see through the Bible the phrases like the hand of the Lord was upon and the hand of God was upon. And just like with the arm of God, it has something to do with the manifest power of God. We know God's powerful, but until he moved his hand upon Elijah or David or, or one of the kings and, and uh, moved upon them and manifested that power, we couldn't see it. But here we can see it once the hand of the Lord comes upon somebody. It gives you a supernatural ability that you don't have in the, in the, in the natural. 
In Deuteronomy 2.15 it says, For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them, Israel's enemy, to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. So it seems that the hand of the Lord has some power in it. Would you agree? Yeah. And then in Luke 11.20, when the religious leaders accused Jesus of casting out devils by Beelzebub, he said, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come nigh you or has come upon you. And so again, it has to do with the manifest power and ability of God. As a matter of fact, the New Living Translation says it this way in Luke eleven twenty, what we just read. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, he didn't say the hand of God or the finger of God, he said the power of God. So the finger and the hand and the power are synonymous <laughs> terms. Then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. So, you know, casting out devils uh, with his finger was proof that the kingdom of God had arrived among them. He wasn't casting out devils by the spirit of Beelzebub. He was casting out devils by the spirit of God, the mighty Holy Ghost. And it didn't take a lot of power, just took a finger. So as you can see, it doesn't take a lot to cast out a devil. Amen. And, uh, you know, it didn't take his hand and certainly didn't take his arm. It just took his finger. And he was just flicking devils off. As a matter of fact, it took comparatively little power in Jesus' ministry to deliver people and set them free. It didn't take the arm of God. It didn't take the hand of God. Just a finger. But how much more power is represented in a hand? More than one finger. And how much more power is represented in the arm? A lot more than the hand and the finger combined. Yes. There's only so much that we can do with the power that's in a hand or a pow the power that's within a finger, but there's also only so much we can do with our hands. Some things require a lot more strength than the finger or the hand. Amen? Amen? So how many believe there's a lot of power in the arm of God? Yes. How many believe that as strong as you are, you'd be no match in the arm wrestling contest with God? That's right. Amen? I see this meme or picture or drawing, whatever it is, of God and the devil, or Jesus and the devil arm wrestling. You know that's not even a match. I mean, that ain't even, we can't even consider something like that. It's so silly. I mean, if he casts the devil out with his finger, he don't need his whole arm to defeat him in a wrestling match. But there's a lot of power in the arm of God, but there's not too many places in the Bible that uh, give us an indication of this type of power or God exercising his arm to do something. But there is one example where we can see a manifestation of the arm of God in action. And that's in Ephesians, the first chapter. The Apostle Paul prayed a prayer uh, at the church of Ephesus and for us as well. And every believer uh, since then to the present day and beyond, this prayer is still valid. He prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is a good prayer for all of us to pray sometimes. This is in verse 17. And then in 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of his glorious, glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of that mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, Far above all principalities and dominion and might and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. It talks about the exceeding greatness of the power of God. It can't be talking about his finger. It can't be talking about his hand. It's got to be talking about the arm of the Lord being revealed. And it's revealed in exceeding great power. Yeah. I can't even define what exceeding great power is. If Paul is talking about God 
with exceeding great power, it's got to be a power that we can't even comprehend or understand. Amen. The arm of the Lord is the exceeding greatness of God's power. Jesus cast out devils with his finger, and God defeated great armies with the hand of the Lord, or the hand of God when it come upon his armies. But when it came to overcoming the power of sin and death and raising Jesus from the dead, which is exactly what Paul was talking about in this prayer, it took the arm of God or the exceeding greatness of his power to do something like that. That was more than a task for a finger, more than a task for his hand. Yeah. God had to exert some power, and he used his arm for that. He used his arm for redemption. And when Christ died, he took within and upon himself the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He bore them sins within himself. When he drank that cup in the Garden of Gethsemane, he drank in the dregs of mankind. He yeah. drank in the sin of mankind and that was heavy and in order for God to redeem us from this kind of weight he had to use his exceeding great power and he did thank God he did and that gave us the right to redemption to salvation to the new birth to the new life to resurrection and the Bible tells us that we were crucified with him, we died with him, we were buried with him, yeah. and we rose with him. That's right. So he identified with us before we ever identified with him. Yes. So when God raised Jesus from the dead, he raised us up with him, yes. past, present, and future. How many know that's a lot of weight to raise up? That was more than a finger or a hand could handle. It took the arm of God. It took the exceeding great power of God to do that, to bring redemption to mankind. It took that kind of power to accomplish that. So what were the questions again that Isaiah asked? Who hath believed our report, the gospel message? Y'all believe the gospel? Yes. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is revealed to the ones that believe the gospel message and receive the message. The one who believes the report, the one who can say, I believe, that's the one who the arm of the Lord has been revealed to. And you may not have realized what it took for God to do that, like I just described, it took his arm to lift that kind of weight. He couldn't just do it with a finger or a hand. It took exceeding great power to lift that kind of weight. There was a manifest saving and healing power in that lift that God did. Hallelujah. Now that's shouting ground right there. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm so glad that yeah. he exceeded some great power and yeah. raised Jesus from the dead yeah. and us along with him. Glory. Glory. Let me give you some more good reports. Could you use some good reports this morning? Yes. Uh, Psalms 103, verses 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Yes. Who forgiveth all your iniquities, your sins, and healeth all oh. your diseases. Oh. So if we believe the report, mm -hmm. then he'll save us and he'll heal us. Amen. Jeremiah 17, 14 says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Yes. Amen. If he said he healed you, he healed you. Yes. If he said you're saved, he saved you. Yes. yes. Then Proverbs 3, 1 and 2 my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life shall they add to thee. Yeah. That's a good report. Yes. Psalms 107, 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Yeah. So I don't know what's trying to destroy you this morning. I don't know what's trying to ruin your life, take uh, health from you or whatever it is. But he delivered you from your destruction. Yes, yes. yes he did. Not gonna, he did. Yes. 
And then Isaiah 53, 4, which we're going to look at intently here in a minute. Surely he hath carried our sicknesses and diseases and bore our pains. And then Psalms 91, 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Yeah. Show him the strength of my arm. Yeah. Show him the exceeding greatness of my power. Yeah. God wants to manifest that to Hallelujah. us. And these are all good reports. So if you believe this report, there's no way that you can stay sad. If you believe this report, there's no way you can say, stay depressed. There's no way you can stay in fear. There's no way you can stay worried. There's no way you can be stressed. There's no way you can stay lost. And there's no way you can stay sick if you believe the report. Amen. But you got to believe the report. Yes, All these things yes. are being revealed through the exceeding great power of God's arm. The arm of God is being revealed to you if you believe this report. And all of that stuff is in his arm. Yes. You know, when you give somebody good reports like this and they leave sad and dejected and depressed, then that tells me they didn't believe the report. That's right. Because if they believed the report, they couldn't leave in that condition. That's right. You can't leave in the same condition you came. Yes. And if you did believe the report, then that's the way you will leave, the same way you came. Because the arm of the Lord is not going to be revealed to you. You know, Pastor and I filed our taxes a couple weeks ago, and we sent everything to the tax preparer, and she calls me later and says, I need this, I need that. And then I send her that, and then she calls me later, and she tells me, I finished your taxes. And she says, you're getting a refund this year. Praise the Lord. Me and, me and Pastor Red started rejoicing right then. <laughs> Why? Because we believed the report. Yeah. It was a good report. We believed yeah. it. We started rejoicing then. We didn't have to wait to see the check. We don't have to wait to see the refund or see our bank account with that refund in it. Amen. We started rejoicing immediately because we believed the report. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. And that's my point. If you believe the report, you start rejoicing when you hear the report. That's right. Now, does who hath believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed mean a little more to you now? Yes. I hope so. It should make a little more sense. But let's, let's look back at Isaiah 53. He's actually prophesying about this week that we just entered into, this Passion Week, this Holy Week. And Isaiah tells us of Jesus' suffering and his being scourged in particular and crucified. And Isaiah explains what it would bring about in terms of redemption, what it means to us for Jesus to have suffered these things. And as we know, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is so prophetic of Jesus' suffering at the hands of the Roman soldiers that even uh, a certain sects of the Jews, S-E-C-T-S, -E of the Jews, put a black ribbon around this uh, book of Isaiah because he described the Messiah so vividly that they refused to even read it. Yeah. They said, no, our Messiah hasn't come yet. Yeah. Boy, are they in for a surprise. Mm -hmm. But that's how vividly Isaiah described Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's considered to be a messianic prophet because he prophesied about the Messiah. And this is between seven and 800 years before Jesus even came. And he described it vividly. We can read it in the New Testament and recognize Isaiah's description of what was happening. Yes. So everything he did, and this is what we have to understand, everything Jesus did in Isaiah's prophecy speaks of a substitutionary death. It speaks of Jesus dying in our place for our sins. Jesus didn't have any sins. He was sinless. He was a perfect, spotless lamb of God. He didn't deserve any of this, and yet he took it voluntarily. He took it for you and I. That's what this week represents, the suffering of Jesus. Verse 3 says that he, Jesus, is despised and rejected of men. He's despised and rejected by you and I. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, Isaiah is talking about mankind in particular. He's talking basically about the group that was there to witness this week of passion that Jesus went through. And then in verse 4, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs, sicknesses, and carried our sorrows, pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We thought he was hanging there because of something he did. We thought he was being whipped because of something he did. And we say he must have been a wicked, wicked man for them to whip him like that and hang him on a cross. And we look to the cross today as a sign of salvation, but back then the cross was a hideous instrument of a shameful death that was reserved for uh, criminals of the worst kind, murderers and insurrectionists. It was a curse to be crucified. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree or the cross. If you hung on a cross, you were considered cursed. Yes. We were cursed. And Jesus hung on that cross in our place and took the curse upon himself that was on us. Yes. So the people that were there witnessing the crucifixion all around the cross, they witnessed the, the scourging and the whipping. They didn't understand the significance of the, the death of Christ. They didn't understand what that scourging meant. They didn't understand what uh, being crucified meant the way that we do. We've got the whole picture. They didn't have the whole picture. Their view of the cross was it was just a hideous, hideous instrument of death the worst type of criminal. And the people thought he must have been a really bad person. And that's why Isaiah said at the end of verse 4, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was smitten of God and afflicted. But God wasn't smiting him and afflicting him. He was smiting and afflicting him in our place. Yes. And the cross was not honored then like it is today. The Bible said they esteemed him not. Yes. They didn't hold him in very high esteem. Didn't think much of him. Didn't have much respect for him. And then in verse 5, Isaiah explains it. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Don't think he was a wicked man. Don't think he deserved being whipped and hung on that cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. Keep that word wounded in mind. I'm going to end with that here in a few minutes. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He took all the whippings and the beating and the crucifixion, but we benefited from it. And like I said, it wasn't because of his sins. He was hanging there because of our sins. He was there as a substitute for our sins and for our transgressions. He was suffering the punishment that we should have suffered, that we deserved. He was paying the wages of sin for us. Isaiah said, for he shall bear their iniquities, our iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion. This is God talking through the prophet Isaiah. I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He poured his soul out. It's one thing to bleed and die, but it's another thing to pour your soul out. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He had one on each side of him. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He prayed for those that were on both sides of him, and he prayed for the ones that were crucifying him. Yes. That was you and I. We crucified him, starting with Adam. Yes. So Isaiah is seen into the spirit realm, again, some 700 plus years in advance, and he's seeing Jesus suffering and dying in our place. 
He's describing it to us. He's describing Jesus paying a debt that he didn't owe, paying for our sins. And even though the people could see what was happening to Jesus outwardly, they had no idea what was happening spiritually in the spiritual realm. Because Jesus not only had to die physically, he had to die spiritually. And spiritual death is separation from God. You don't cease to exist. You're just separated from God, and God calls it death. Spiritual death. I don't want to be separated from God. No. I don't want to be dead to God. No. I want to be alive to God. Yes, hallelujah. So spiritual death is a terrible thing. We were born into it, but thank God Jesus did what yes. he did. See, it was not just what was happening physically. The redemption of mankind was spiritual first, like almost everything that you can think of starts in the spirit and manifests itself in the natural realm. You know, we start believing in here for healing, but it might take a little time before it manifests out here, but it starts spiritually, and so did redemption. The people could see him being scourged and whipped with that cat and nine tails and then nailed to the cross, and they could see his wounds and his bleeding and his blood being poured out at the foot of the cross and at that whipping pole, and it was not pretty. You remember the, the movie by Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ, and everybody was getting sick and saying, oh, there was just too much blood, and it was just too bloody, and it was, oh, it was gross. No, it wasn't bloody enough. Isaiah said he was whipped beyond recognition. Yes, he said that right. his visage or his appearance was not even that of a man. Right. He didn't say we couldn't have recognized him as Jesus. You couldn't recognize if he was a man or a woman he was tore up so bad. So no, it wasn't too bloody. That movie didn't show enough of the true blood that, that Christ shed. But they could see that. They could see his suffering and struggling for every breath. But there was so much more going on that they couldn't see. So much more going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. And Jesus' greatest suffering was in the spirit. As bad as it was, and it was horrible, the suffering he did in his, shed, in his flesh, it was nothing compared to what he suffered in the spirit. His separation from his father was one of the worst things he ever experienced. He's from eternity. Whenever eternity began, he was with his father. And now he's being separated. And there's denominations and religions that don't believe that happened. But why would Jesus cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me if he wasn't forsaken? No, he was forsaken from God because he had to taste spiritual death. Because that's what we had coming. He tasted it for us. So his greatest suffering was in the spirit, the condemnation, the shame, the weight of the sins of the world. And of course, his suffering, spiritual death, and his separation from the Father. His descension into hell. Yes, he went to hell for us because yes. that's where we had to go. So he had to go to hell and defeat the devil in his own territory yes. to rock salvation for us. He had to pay the full price, and part of that price was going to hell. And as bad as it was physically, it was indescribable. But it didn't even compare to what he suffered spiritually. And like I said, redemption is first of all spiritual. Then it affects the physical and the natural realm. And everything in the natural realm is first spiritual. Yeah. The spiritual and the natural are way more connected than we could even imagine. The seen and the unseen are connected more than we can imagine. Let me read Isaiah 53, 4 in several other translations because it's important we understand this passage of Scripture. In the amp it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses. He bore. He put them on his back like a knapsack and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment, yet we ignorantly considered him to be stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. We treated him like a leper. 
You know how many people treat him like a leper today? Then in the CEB, it was certainly our sickness that he carried and our sufferings that he bore, but we thought him afflicted, struck down by God, and tormented. The NET says, but he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done. The WEB says, surely he hath borne our sickness and carried our suffering, yet we considered him plagued, struck by God, and afflicted. The Jubilee Bible says, surely our diseases he did carry and our pains he did bear. The Young's Literal Translation says, surely our sicknesses he hath borne and our pains he carried them. And these are all valid and respected translations. How many now realize that this is a good report? And God says, surely, surely. You know, people say surely all the time. Hey, can you come over to the house and help me this weekend? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there for sure. Now, don't let me down. I need your help. I'm planning on you. Surely, I'll be there. And they don't show up. But when God says, surely, you can count on it. Yes, amen. God says, surely yes. he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Yes. Surely. Sure. Is there any doubt he bore our sicknesses and carried our pains? Nope. No, because God says, surely, and amen. you can count on him. That's right. There's a lot of people in a lot of denominations who do not. Believe when God says surely, it means surely. What kind of physical pain and suffering did Jesus do? What did he actually go through in his flesh? There's six different kinds of wounds that a person can receive in their body. And these are medical terms, but six at least. You may think of some more, but these are the, the main ones. Number one, an abrasive wound. That's where the skin is scraped off, and this can result from stumbling or by carrying a rough object or by a glancing blow, all of which Jesus experienced. It can be experienced from road rash when you fall off your bike or motorcycle and you slide down the asphalt for a couple hundred feet. That's an abrasive wound. Then there's an, a confused wound. That's caused by a heavy blow, an incised wound produced by a knife or a spear or other sharp instrument. Jesus experienced that. An incised wound. I got ahead of myself. That's what's produced by a knife or a spear. Uh, a confused wound is caused by a heavy blow. The incised wound is produced by a knife or spear or other sharp instrument. And then there's a lacerated wound where the flesh is torn open leaving jagged edges. It's different than a knife wound. This one is where your flesh is tore open. Yes. Now, on the end of this cat and nine tail, it had lead balls and it had uh, jagged pieces of glass or stone or something like that on the ends of these tails. And when he would strike, and these Roman soldiers, they were merciless. They were powerful men and they were experienced and professional at whipping people. That was their job. Yes. They practiced whipping things. And they would uh, lay that whip across the body of Jesus and the, the balls and the jagged edges would wrap around and dig in his chest and then they'd yank that thing back and it would tear and leave a lacerated opening yes. that was jagged on the edges. They did that on his face, his neck, his chest, back, flesh torn open. And then there's a penetrating wound where the flesh is pierced through and through. Sometimes that's a good thing if you get shot at through and through. That means the bullet passed through and hopefully it didn't hit anything vital. But they won't have to dig it out. This is a, a wound that goes in the chest, comes out the back or something like that. And then a punctured wound made by a pointed or spiked instrument. 
But anyway, my point is that between the Lord's scourging and the crucifixion that he suffered, he experienced every one of these wounds and then some real physical pain. But what Jesus suffered physically by itself is not what gives power to the cross. We must add to it the spiritual pain and suffering that he endured. That's what gives the power to the cross. Paul prayed in that prayer. He talked about the exceeding greatness of God's power. He talks about Jesus' death, his dissension into hell, his resurrection from the dead. Yeah. That's what gave power to the cross. Yes. The cross was just an instrument whereby they killed the Lord. Yes. And had the devil known the meaning of the cross, he would have never crucified Jesus, right. the Bible tells us. Amen. So that weight was carried in the spirit. Yes. Christ was raised spiritually first. He was spiritually dead. He had to be raised spiritually before he could be raised bodily or in the natural. And on that day when uh, God accepted his sacrifice in heaven, and I'm just paraphrasing this. He probably said, Holy Ghost, go get my son. He's down there in the bowels of hell. Go get him and raise him up. I find him to be innocent. He's not guilty of the charges. He's innocent. He died in the place of my other children. So you go down there and you get him. And the Holy Ghost went through the bowels of hell. I'll tell you what, it had to be a great powerful force and a powerful light going through the corridors of hell until he got to the chamber where Jesus was laying spiritually dead and he raised him from the dead. And Jesus went and the first thing he does, he takes the keys of death and hell away from the devil, strips yeah. him of all his power, yeah. hallelujah. And then he goes and preaches captivity to the captive. Yes. He went to paradise where all those that died in, uh, awaiting the promise of the Savior were in paradise in Abraham's bosom he goes there and preaches the gospel, the good news to them. And when they believed the report, the arm of the Lord was revealed to them. Yeah. And he raised them all up and took them to heaven. Hallelujah. Moved paradise to heaven. Yes. Hallelujah. That's the exceeding greatness of his power. Yes. And he wants to show it to us. Yes. The exceeding greatness of yes. his power. The arm of the Lord he wants to reveal to us. Hallelujah. I'm looking for that manifest power yes. of the arm of God. Hallelujah. But that's what made Jesus' death on the cross uh, greater than anything else that he went through was that resurrection in the spirit. So this is Palm Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is one week from today. But before that is Good Friday. This coming Friday is Good Friday. That's when Jesus did his suffering hung on the cross and died for us. Good Friday for us, it was a bad Friday for Jesus. Yeah. That's when he received all of his physical wounds. And that's the week we're looking forward to here now. Jesus started this week coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. Mm -hmm. And the people shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Yeah. Laying down palm branches, which represent peace. Laying down their coats, yes. revering him. Yes. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Yes, we sing it this morning. Yes. But before the week was over, they were hollering, crucify, crucify. So it was during this upcoming week. This week we just entered into today, some almost 2,000 years ago. I know we think it's been 2,020 years, but it hasn't been. It's about uh, 10 years shy, 2000, eight years shy, 2,000 years on the Gregorian, on the Jewish calendar, on God's calendar. In eight years, we'll celebrate 2,000 years since the birth of Christ. But he suffered all these things for our salvation and our healing. So let me ask you two more questions different than the ones we started out with and then I'll close. Question number one, could you in all good conscience 
Look at Jesus hanging on that cross and ask him if he loves you and if he wanted to save you or if it was his will to save you. That's question number one. Question number two, in all good conscience, could you look to him, look at him, strapped to the, tied to that whipping post, receiving those lashes with that cat and nine tails by that cruel and wicked Roman soldier and ask him if he wanted you healed? Because he said by those stripes that he bore on his back, they were for our healing. Yes. Can you look at him on that post, receiving those lashes, and ask if it's his will for you to be healed? Who forgiveth all your iniquities, who healeth all your diseases. Yes. Those two those two phrases are in the same passage of scripture. Yes. They're not separated. Mm -hmm. You can't look at the cross and ask him if it's his will to save you. That's no right. more than you can look at the whipping post and ask him if it's his will to heal you. That's right. Who hath believed our report? Yes. That's who the arm of the Lord is going to be yes. revealed to. Why would he bear these things and carry these things and then expect us to carry them? Besides that, why would you want to carry something that he's already carried? Amen. That would be like me carrying my groceries in and you come, Johnny, come lately and say, here, let me carry them in for you. I don't need them carried. I already carry them. You don't need to carry anything that I've already carried. Yeah. And that's what Jesus is saying. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. You've done so much for us, more than we could ever even think or imagine. We can't even begin to comprehend what you suffered. And I know people think a lot of people suffered and died and were whipped and was hung on the cross and died. What's so different about yours? But you died for us and you died spiritually for us yes. you allowed yourself to be separated from your father for the first time in all of eternity and you did it in faith you didn't know for sure that you'd be raised you did it by what you read in the word and you did it according to your faith in a heavenly father that is faithful and God it was uh, we know Lord it was a gamble for you but you did it you did it for us, and we appreciate that this morning. Thank God for the resurrection, and we'll celebrate that next Sunday, but we can't forget what you went through to come to the place where you needed to be resurrected. But we're so thankful for everything you did. We're thankful for the resurrection. Because you were raised from the dead, we shall be raised also. If your sacrifice wasn't accepted, then... We have no hope of glory. We have no hope of salvation. We have no hope of a resurrection. But your sacrifice was accepted, and the proof of it is in your resurrection. There's a lot of religions with a lot of religious founders and leaders, but if you go to their grave, you'll find their remains still there, dust and ashes. But when you go to the tomb that Jesus was laid in, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, we'll find it to be empty forevermore. Empty because you were raised and you're seated at the right hand of your Father. Coming again in great glory and not too many days from now, I believe it with all my heart. And we look so forward to seeing you, Lord, face to face. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.